You're listening to The Problem with Poverty, a podcast that helps bring awareness to the causes and consequences of poverty, as well as ways that we can overcome the problems with poverty together. Our company, Community Action Partnership of North Alabama, serves 28 counties in our beautiful state. According to 2019 estimates by the U.S. Census, Alabama was the seventh poorest state with 15.5% of its residents living in poverty, as compared with a U.S. average of 11.1%. Our goal with this show is to highlight all of the opportunities that we and our partners have to help people overcome poverty as we focus on helping people changing lives. Welcome to the Problem with Poverty podcast. I'm your host, Holly Hicks. Our guest today is Kim Dodd, our Director of Children's Services at Community Action Partnership of North Alabama. Kim holds a bachelor's degree in early childhood education from Auburn University and a master of education in early childhood education and training from the University of Alabama at Birmingham. She serves on the board of directors for the Alabama Head Start Association and the advisory boards for the Departments of Child Development at Wallace State and Calhoun Community Colleges. In 2022, Kim accepted the National Head Start Association's Edward Ziegler Innovation Award on behalf of CAPNA and community partner United Way of Morgan County's Women's Leadership Council for their innovative role in addressing the high need for high-quality child care through an endowment for the Vivian Knetzer-Turner Early Learning Center in Decatur, Alabama, that serves approximately 60 families with preschool-aged children. The objective of the center is to offer an opportunity for affordable, high-quality child care and comprehensive services to employees of local corporations and families in the community that may not qualify for Head Start or Early Head Start with blended funding to increase access. Welcome, Kim. Thank you. Glad to be here. Glad to have you. We'll start with a Head Start approach. You can give us an overall view of how you feel about early childhood education and how it relates to poverty. Tell us, for those who don't understand about early childhood education, what does that mean? What are the age ranges for early childhood education? So we can get an idea of how that would affect families who live in poverty. So um, early childhood would be uh, birth to um, five-year-olds. Well, you could go to third grade for that matter. It depends. Uh, Everybody looks at it differently. Uh, For the purpose of what we're talking about, I'm going to be speaking about um, really birth. You could even go (laughs) pre-birth because I think it's real important for um, uh, uh, women that are pregnant um, to have prenatal care. So we could go there. But, um, yeah, to, to about five years old. And well, you mentioned pre-birth, women who need prenatal care. Is that an issue for families living in poverty? Yes, because that I believe that uh, in the womb starts your whole life off right or, or on a better path. If you're healthy, you can learn. If you're healthy, you can. there's a lot of things that can happen. Um, and so if you're not... There's things that already are against you. And um, so, yeah, I do think it's pretty, uh, yeah, I do think it's important. Do I hear you say that the problem with poverty is essentially beginning at birth a healthy child and how they come into the world? Well, I think that's part of it. (laughs) 
is that a, a healthy child in prenatal. Um, I do think that um, that women in poverty um, or low income have less access to to quality health care than others. Um, not always, but I think in general, yes. What role does early childhood education play in poverty? <clears throat> well, I think learning and um, and and development, uh, child development, is is has a huge part in um, in poverty. I think there's lots of families that are have not been supported or supportive of education. Matter of fact, there's generational generations of families that even make fun of people or or their family members that finish school or go to school. Oh, they think they're better. So I think that's that's a that's one of the negative things, but the positive things are that it helps you with confidence. It helps with, I mean, just knowledge and getting and gaining skills. Um, so self-regulation, there's so many things I could go into about um, early childhood education um, and what, what children learn. And a lot of that is getting along with other children. Um, self-regulation, I think that's real important. Now we see that as it comes to light with a lot of the shootings and things that are going on in our society. So um, I think that's of great importance. How will not only Head Start, but early childhood education programs, we'll get into the Head Start piece, but Mm -hmm. how is it expected that that will start to hopefully curb the violence that we see when we think they don't have coping skills or self-regulation or confidence how does that affect the outcomes for those kids? Well, I don't, I don't know. I couldn't prove that it did because they still go back home. And <clears throat> so I think, um, but, but I, I mean, it makes sense that it would. <laughs> and we wouldn't believe that it does. But I also think that if you don't work with the families and you don't address just fundamental family health in general, be it mental health, be it substance abuse, be it all of that, and bring the family in to support children through their educational um, life, (laughs) then, and and I do think that's one of the big things that Head Start does, is um, brings in the family part. Can we change everything of it? No. But change the thought process of parents that maybe didn't grow up with supportive education or supportive families that support education, um, how to parent, those kind of things. Um, I think that's vitally important. Related to addressing the needs of the entire family and about Head Start, how are they different? How are Head Start classrooms different from private daycares or public school programs? Mm-hmm. as it relates to family needs? Well, number one, it doesn't cost families. It costs taxpayers, but it doesn't cost families um, money. And I always think it's such an oxymoron how we 
how we do the whole childcare thing because when <clears throat> when you have young children and you're just starting your career, you're paying almost as much as you pay in for college. When at that point, sometimes you can afford it because you've gotten your career off the ground and you can afford to send, or there's scholarships. <laughs> for for child care, there's not. So it's almost like child care in general put young people that even have degrees, maybe, whatever, puts them back in closer to poverty. So I, uh, yeah, that's a big thing is that there's no cost, out-of-pocket cost, to to families. Young Do you families. see families return, previous Head Start families, do they stay in the system? What What is the ultimate goal for Head Start and the generational poverty you mentioned? Well, the ultimate goal is not to see them again. <laughs> and I think it's quite interesting where we celebrate that the generations of children and families that have come through Head Start. Why? I mean, that's great that they're there and they, they appreciate education and early childhood. And they love Head Start. But I don't want to see them back. I don't want to see their grandkids back. <laughs> I mean, that would be the ultimate. Now, if they start opening Head Start to, to all children, because it's the highest quality child care and early learning that you can find, um, yeah. We we want we want them back, but um, <clears throat> yeah no. What makes you think that they continue to return? What what are the? Because obviously it's not the the education piece. So what is affecting their lives that you do see the same families come in? I would say that I think poverty is not a one <clears throat> one dimensional thing. It. Ha- there's so many things that have to come together. If you just look at our agency, for that matter, our agency does so many things to address poverty on the basic foundational level. So basic needs, your housing, your food, your uh, just your social, your physical welfare, all these things have to be met and come together um, in education um, to for for anyone to feel to be successful, and I always don't like to use the word successful because what is that? But to for their needs to be met, and then the foundations can be um, built on that. But before the foundations can be built, or before the extras can be built, the foundation has to be there to address any type of poverty. But if you don't, if you don't have good health, if you don't have dental, if you don't have um, mental health, basic mental health insecurities and securities, really, if you don't have security, then you can't learn. Before we started, you mentioned Maslow's hierarchy of needs. Yeah. So where does education fall in that hierarchy, early childhood <clears throat> education? Well, I just, I think that it, it falls within that whole basic foundation. <clears throat> if you don't have health just like I said, if you don't have health, food, um, if your tooth's hurting, if you can't see other children um, or other things, um, you can't learn. You can't be prepared to learn. You can learn, but you can't be prepared to learn. And it's harder. Which basic needs 
can families expect to see for their children and for themselves in a Head Start classroom or early Head Start classroom? Um, certainly safety, health. Um, you know, we, we provide dental health, um, nutrition, uh, you know, the, the roof over your head type of thing. The training for parents um to 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 um you know to get their degrees or to get their um GEDs to um to really know what helps children um learn um love and just hugs somebody that cares about them so they're they're fed, so yeah. they're not hungry, and right. they're cared for so they feel safe, mm-hmm. and their parents are supported so they can move ahead. So eventually, the goal for this particular family that we talk about in Head Start is they will ultimately be self-sufficient, and you won't see them again. Mm-hmm. Is that fair? That That would be great. That would be great. Yes. Now, we'd love to see them back again if they would open up the, the world. Now, our, you know, society to, uh, which I think is a problem for young people to pay child care. I think it's tough. It's, it's more than a car. Some people, I mean, some of our young families can't even buy a car. <laughs> so, you know, a reliable car because they're... Child care costs so much. A lot of young women don't work because child care costs more than if they worked and got out of the house, you know, and, and did things to make themselves feel um, or, you know, really help their confidence. So it's just such a circle, a cycle, however you want to say it. Both. It is. It is. As an early childhood professional with decades of experience in the field, don't want to date you, (laughs) what do you have to say to naysayers who point out that once children leave Head Start and enter mainstream classrooms, any gains they may have made are no longer evident beyond third grade? For example, why do we keep funding a program if the results are not sustainable? Well, uh, I mean, that's hooey, but um, that's what I would say. No, maybe I wouldn't say that, but... um, I think that, number one, they might be starting in the wrong place to gauge the success of, or whatever you want to call it, the, um, because with, with Head Start um, or any really solid early childhood um, provider, um, you start with where they're at, and then you, you, you go from there. Um, so you talk about foundations. You build on the foundations they already have so that you know where to go. But, you know, to early childhood early childhood providers or um, professionals, math, one plus one, and English and grammar, those are all great. But that is not the foundation <laughs> that we look for. There's so many um, almost things that you can't. Um, put your finger on, like, again, getting along with others, <laughs> learning to learning self-care, 
learning to wash your hands, learning what health and you know health is, learning to brush your teeth. We do that. Um, not that you might not do it at home, but we do it at school. We learn what healthy eating is. We learn. I mean, we learn sorting. We learn, but we don't necessarily teach up on the chalkboard one plus one. Um, so maybe you're not. Um, maybe you're. You talk about the folks that are that are um, that don't think that we're up to. You know, they lose skills. Well, maybe they're not coming to meet children at their developmental levels and where they and really where they should be because five-year-olds in general, four-year-olds in general may not be reading. And that might be okay because maybe they're, they have other skills that they, they're building those foundations instead of learning, um, you know. And kids who don't read... You, you can't provide a standardized test. So what does Head Start do to assess the developmental gains for young children to prove that this system is working? So I think what you're asking is um, I'm thinking about, like, you know, communication. It's hard to assess communication, um, like really formally assess be it be it list the listening part or the um, or the speaking part. So, um, but we're also learning how important that is to be able to to feel comfortable saying what you want to say to others, and and that has to do with you know how you get along with people and how you express yourself rather than beat somebody over the head. <laughs> or bite and that happens and that's another thing you know with biting and, and and understanding why maybe children do bite that's kind of can be sort of normal do we want them to no but <laughs> that's a normal thing but it's all part of communication and so I think that's so important that we teach children to communicate self-regulate um, calm themselves how to do all those things because then we, at the um, earlier <laughs> um, part of the program, we talked about how, how there's chaos, some chaos going around. And I think these things got, have got to start at an, a younger age. And um, it's hard to evaluate that, especially until it happens. And we don't want that to happen. But, yeah, I think it's hooey. Um, I think that we absolutely are addressing... Um, early childhood um, developmental skills by sorting, by um, teaching children to get along with each other for them to use their words and not beat each other over the head. Um, how to, uh, you know, all the, a lot of stuff comes naturally. So we take them out on the playground and they learn. So we talk about physical um, development. Well, they learn those things a lot of times just from going and doing on their own it's the only thing we have to teach them but if they can't get together um right now i'll tell you this our our skills in head start in our program for communication are the lowest they've been in a long time and and that's our own um assessments why do you think that is well 
I don't know for sure, but I believe it's probably COVID and being at home and not being with other children and being set in front of a TV or a computer. I'm not, I'm not bashing anybody, but that's, that's how it is. Um, so we haven't had time together. And children need time with other children um, and adults, for that matter, um, that, know, that are professionals, that know what they're doing and do it intentionally. Um, in our classrooms, we talk to children. When we diaper, we talk to children. Um, you know, when we go, when we walk to the playground, we talk to children. We don't put, we don't check our iPhones and, and not talk to children. <laughs> and so um, those are the things that they, they get. They learn to be kind to each other and respectful. And, and not just us telling them what that means. They learn to do that because we, you know, that's, that's the expect, expectations of having your friends in your classroom. So, yeah, I think it's, there's uh, so many things that can't be um, tested or assessed that happen in early childhood. What's the biggest problem that your classrooms have seen since COVID? We know communication, as you mentioned, is a challenge. And do you think it's more prominent for families who live in poverty? Well, I I think that we've kind of talked about what I think a lot of the stuff, you know, the problems of our classrooms, and I think that's communication and getting together and playing with each other and just being together. Um, I think it's real important for young children, and I I hope it doesn't. I hope we don't see this major deficit of three, four, five year uh, spurts with with children of probably all even all ages, maybe even adults. Um, what do you predict based on what you've seen so far in the early childhood classroom? If we were to go back and check our outcomes later and, and see the standardized testing, what would we see? Well, I'm going to predict that you're going to see a, a, a decrease in, in every, you know, the cognitive, the math, the science, all of that but I also think you're going to see a, if if you could really um, assess the um, children get along uh, people skills I guess you could say you, I'm going to say that we're going to have problems and we're going to see we're already starting to see some of it but we're going to really see it um, for probably a, a span of I don't know, maybe five to ten years, that children, that, that, I say children, but they may be teenagers, that, but I also think that has to do with iPhones and all of that, too, but that, that they can't communicate. I already think that's showing up. Um, so, you know, I think that's why the mental health piece, um, just being healthy um, in, in every way, but I think all of that's gonna gonna show up, and well, I think it already is. So, yeah, um, I think you know, I mean, through all of this, we talk about poverty and um, the cycle of poverty, and I think it's hard to get out of that because I think everything sort of has to come together um, for that to happen. Um, but 
I see a lot of it as family and family supports. And when I say family, it might not always mean your mama, daddy, brother, sister, grandparents. I mean, it might not. Family can mean a lot of things, but it's support around that that family or that child, um, I think, is, is vitally important. I'm going to ask you some questions that we've asked other guests. What does someone living in poverty have to do with me, and why should I care? Well, I think it depends on what you think um, that your part in society is. But um, for me, um, I don't know. It's just always been there. I've always... I, f- I feel like, wh- why should you be... I mean, it's it's true. You're, some people are just born into whatever family or situation they're born into. But why would it not be my... Um, up to me to help if wherever I could. Uh, why is that okay just to be born into? I mean, it happens. I get it. But why? Why couldn't? Why don't we all? Why don't we all feel like we need to do something? And you know, that's that's your community, your your family. If you you do whatever you can help, your the government. Um, so I think I think it's all of our, um, you know, you're you're as strong as your weakest link. Based on your responses, mm-hmm. there's really not one problem with poverty as it relates to early childhood education. There's one problem; it exists. <laughs> but yeah, right. Not one contributing factor. That's for sure. What What is one change that you would like to see? that relates to early childhood education and its role in poverty? Well, I don't, I don't really know if it starts in the early childhood piece. I mean, I think it starts so back into, like, government. <laughs> how, they, how the whole welfare piece is based on you're not even getting, you don't, you don't need to get married because you can't get your stuff. I mean, I can go back there, um, to really put a thumb on it, <clears throat> which perpetuates a lot of that. And then again, I said I don't want to get into di- diversity, equality, and all that, but it, it comes w- from way back, and we cannot deny that. Um, however, um, the main thing, I, I've probably got to say, Maybe family, maybe supports to the family. Not that all families should be together, but <laughs> but yeah, I would say f- parent education, family, um, quality. I could. I don't know if there's not just one thing. I can't pick. Been in this business too long. I can't pick. But yeah, um, access. Uh, goodness see I just add on access to services and we'll end there yeah Kim Dodd thank you for joining us on the problem with poverty podcast uh if you want to hear more about the problem with poverty or see more about early childhood education at Community Action Partnership of North Alabama you can visit our website at www.capna.org thanks Kim thank you